0: chapter fifty four of bleak house by charles dickens this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter fifty four springing a mine refreshed by sleep mr bucket rises betimes in the morning and prepares for a field day smartened up by the aid of a clean shirt and wet hair-brush with which instrument, on occasions of ceremony, he lubricates such thin locks as remain to him after his life of severe study. Mr Bucket lays in a breakfast of two mutton chops as a foundation to work upon, together with tea, eggs, toast and marmalade on a corresponding scale. Having much enjoyed these strengthening matters, and having held subtle conference with his familiar demon, he confidently instructs Mercury just to mention quietly to sir leicester dedlock baronet that whenever he's ready for me i'm ready for him a gracious message being returned that sir leicester will expedite his dressing and join mr bucket in the library within ten minutes mr bucket repairs to that apartment and stands before the fire with his finger on his chin looking at the blazing coals thoughtful mr bucket is as a man may be with weighty work to do but composed, sure, confident. From the expression of his face, he might be a famous whist player for a large stake, say a hundred guineas certain, with the game in his hand, but with a high reputation involved in his playing his hand out to the last card in a masterly way. Not in the least anxious or disturbed is Mr. Bucket when Sir Leicester appears, but he eyes the baronet aside as he comes slowly to his easy chair with that observant gravity of yesterday. In which there might have been yesterday, for the audacity of the idea, a touch of compassion. I'm sorry to have kept you waiting, officer. but I'm rather later than my usual hour this morning. I'm not well. The agitation and the indignation for which I have recently suffered have been too much for me. I am subject to gout. Sir so Leicester was going to say indisposition and would have said it to anybody else, but Mister Bucket palpably knows all about it and recent circumstances have brought it on as he takes his seat with some difficulty with an air of pain mr bucket draws a little nearer standing with one of his large hands on the library table i am not aware officer sir leicester observes raising his eyes to his face whether you do wish us to be alone or as entirely as you please if you do well and good if not miss dedlock would be interested why, Sir Leicester deadlock baronet, returns Mr. Bucket with his head persuasively on one side, and his forefinger pendant at one ear like an earring. We can't be too private just at present. You will presently see that we can't be too private. A lady, under the circumstances, especially in Miss Dedlock's elevated station of society, can't but be agreeable to me. But speaking without a view to myself, I will take the liberty of assuring you that i know we can't be too private that is enough so much so sir leicester dedlock baronet mr bucket resumes that i was on the point of asking your permission to turn the key in the door by all means mr bucket skilfully and softly takes that precaution stooping on his knee for a moment from mere force of habit so to adjust the key in the lock so that no one shall peep in from the outer side sir leicester dedlock I mentioned yesterday evening that I wanted but a very little to complete this case. I have now completed it, and collected proof against the person who did this crime. Against the soldier? No, Sir Leicester Dedlock, not the soldier. Sir Leicester looks astounded, and inquires, Is the man in custody? Mr. Bucket tells him, after a pause, it was a woman. Sir Leicester leans back in his chair, and breathlessly ejaculates, Good heaven!" now sir leicester dedlock baronet mr bucket begins standing over him with one hand spread out on the library table and the forefinger of the other in impressive use it is my duty to prepare you for a train of circumstances that may and i go so far as to say that will give you a shock but sir leicester dedlock baronet you are a gentleman and i know what a gentleman is and what a gentleman is capable of a gentleman can bear a shock when it must come Boldly and steadily, a gentleman can make up his mind to stand up against almost any blow. Why, take yourself, Sir Leicester Dedlock, Baronet. If there is a blow to be inflicted on you, you naturally think of your family. You ask yourself, how would all them ancestors of yours, away to Julius Caesar, not to go beyond him at present, have borne that blow? You remember scores of them that would have borne it well. And you bear it well on their accounts, and to maintain the family credit. That's the way you argue, and that's the way you act, Sir Lester Dedlock, baronet. Sir Leicester, leaning back in his chair and grasping the elbows, sits looking at him with a stony face. Now, Sir Leicester Dedlock, proceeds Mr Bucket, thus preparing you, let me beg of you not to trouble your mind for a moment as to anything having come to my knowledge. I know so much about so many characters, high and low, that a piece of information more or less don't signify a straw. Well, I don't suppose there's a move on the board that would surprise me. And as to this, or that move having taken place, why, my knowing it is no odds at all, any possible move whatever, provided it's in the wrong direction, being a probable move according to my experience. Therefore what I say to you, Leicester Deadlock Baronet, is don't you go and let yourself be put out of the way because of my knowing anything of your family." "'I thank you for your preparation,' returned Sir Leicester, after a silence, without moving hand, foot, or feature, which I hope is not necessary, though I give it credit for being well intended. Be so good as to go on. Also—' Sir Leicester seems to shrink in the shadow of his figure. also to take a seat, if you have no objection. "'None at all!' Mr. Bucket brings a chair, and diminishes his shadow. Now, Sir Leicester, Dedlock Baronet, with this short preface, I come to the point lady dedlock sir leicester raises himself in his seat and stares at him fiercely mr bucket brings the finger into play as in a emollient lady dedlock you see she's universally admired that's what her ladyship is she's universally admired says mr bucket i would greatly prefer officer sir leicester returns stiffly my lady's name being entirely omitted from this discussion so would I, Sir Leicester Dedlock baronet. But it's impossible. Impossible? Mr. Bucket shakes his relentless head. Sir Leicester Dedlock baronet, it is altogether impossible. What I've got to say is about her ladyship. She is the pivot it all turns on. Officer, retorts Sir Lester with a fiery eye and a quivering lip, you know your duty, do your duty, but be careful not to overstep it. I would not suffer it, I would not endure it you bring my lady's name into this communication upon your responsibility my lady's name is not a name for common persons to trifle with sir so leicester dedlock baronet i say what i must say and no more i hope it may prove so very well go on go on sir glancing at the angry eyes which now avoid him and at the angry figure trembling from head to foot yet striving to be still mr bucket feels his way with his forefinger and in a low voice proceeds sir leicester dedlock baronet it becomes my duty to tell you that the deceased mr togginghorn long entertained mistrusts and suspicions of lady dedlock if you had dared to breathe them to me sir which he never did i would have killed him myself exclaims sir leicester striking his hand upon the table but in the very heat and fury of the act he stops fixed by the knowing eyes of mr bucket whose forefinger is slowly going and who with mingled confidence and patience shakes his head Sir Leicester Dedlock, the deceased Mr. Tulkinghorn, was deep and close, and what he fully had in his mind. <laughs> but I know from his lips that he long ago suspected Lady Dedlock, and when you yourself, Sir Leicester Dedlock, were present, the existence in great poverty of a certain person who had been her lover before you courted her, and who ought to have been her husband. Mr. Bucket stops and deliberately repeats, "Ought to have been her husband," not a doubt about it. I know from his lips that when that person soon afterwards died he suspected lady dedlock of visiting his wretched lodging and his wretched grave alone and in secret i know from my own inquiries and through my eyes and ears that lady dedlock did make such a visit in the dress of her own maid for the deceased mr tulkinghorn employed me to reckon up her ladyship if you'll excuse my making use of the term we commonly employ and i reckoned her up so far completely I confronted the maid in the chambers in Lincoln's Inn Field with a witness who had been Lady Dedlock's guide, and there couldn't be the shadow of a doubt that she had worn the young woman's dress, unknown to her. Sir so Leicester Dedlock, baronet, I did endeavour to pave the way a little towards these unpleasant disclosures yesterday by saying that very strange things happened even in high families sometimes. And all this and more has happened in your own family. And to and through your own lady. It is my belief that the deceased Mr. Tulkinghorn followed up these inquiries to the hour of his death, and that he and Lady Dedlock even had bad blood between them upon the matter that very night. Now, only you put that to Lady Dedlock, Sir Leicester Dedlock, baronet, and ask her ladyship whether, even after he had left here, she didn't go down to his chambers with the intention of saying something further to him, dressed in a loose black mantle with a deep fringe to it sir leicester sits like a statue gazing at the cruel finger that is probing the life-blood of his heart you put that to her ladyship sir leicester dedlock baronet from me inspector bucket of the detective and if her ladyship makes any difficulty about admitting of it you tell her that it's no use that inspector bucket knows it and knows that she knows she passed him on the staircase now, Sir Leicester, Deadlock Baronet, why do we relate all this? Sir Leicester, who has covered his face with his hands, uttering a single groan, requests him to pause for a moment. And by and by he takes his hands away, and so preserves his dignity and outward calmness. But there is no more colour in his face than in his white hair, that Mr Buckin is a little awed by him. Something frozen and fixed is upon his manner, over and above its usual shell of haughtiness and Mr. Bucket soon detects an unusual slowness in his speech, which now and then, a curious trouble in beginning, which occasions him to utter inarticulate sounds, with such sounds he now breaks the silence. Soon, however, controlling himself to say that he does not comprehend why a gentleman so faithful and zealous as the late Mr. Tulkinghorn should have communicated to him nothing of this painful, this distressing, this unlooked-for, is overwhelming this incredible intelligence again sir leicester dedlock baronet returns mr bucket put it to her ladyship to clear that up put it to her ladyship if you think it right from inspector bucket of the detective you'll find or i'm much mistaken that the deceased mr Tulkinghorn had the intention of communicating the whole to you as soon as he considered it ripe and further that he had given her ladyship so to understand why he might have been going to reveal it in the very morning when i examined the body you don't know what i am going to say and do in five minutes from this present time sir leicester dedlock baronet and supposing i was to be picked off you might wonder why i hadn't done it don't you see true sir leicester avoiding some trouble with his obtrusive sounds says true at this juncture a considerable noise of voices is heard in the hall mr bucket after listening goes to the library door swiftly unlocks and opens it and listens again then he draws in his head and whispers hurriedly but composedly sir leicester dedlock baronet this unfortunate family affair has taken air as i expected it might the deceased mr tulkinghorn being cut down so sudden the chance to hush it up is to let in these people would you just throw in a nod when i seem to ask you for it sir leicester indistinctly answers officer the best you can the best you can Mr. Bucket, with a nod and a sagacious crook of the forefinger, slips into the hall, where voices quickly die away. He is not long in returning, a few paces ahead of Mercury, and a brother deity also powdered and in peach-blossom smalls, who bears between them a chair in which is an incapable old man. Another man and two women come in behind. Directing the pitching of the chair, in an affable and easy manner, Mr. Bucket dismisses the Mercuries and locks the door again. Sir Leicester looks on at this invasion of the sacred precincts with an icy stare. Now, perhaps you may know me, ladies. I am Inspector Bucket of the detective, I am. And this, producing a tip of his convenient little staff from his breast pocket, is my authority. Now, you wanted to see Sir Leicester Dedlock, baronet. Well, you do see him. And mind you, it ain't every one that's admitted to that honour. Your name, old gentleman, is Smallweed. I know it well well you never heard any harm of it cries mr smallweed in a shrill loud voice you don't happen to know why they killed the pig do you retorts mr bucket with a steadfast look not without loss of temper no why they killed him says mr bucket on account of his having so much cheek don't you get into the same position because it isn't worthy of you you ain't in the habit of conversing with a deaf person are you yes snarls mr smallweed my wife's deaf that accounts for your pitching your voice so high but she ain't here just pitch it an octave or two lower will you and i'll not only be obliged to you but it'll do you more credit says mr bucket this other gentleman is in the preaching line i think name of chadband mr smallweed puts in speaking henceforth in a much lower key once had a friend and a brother sergeant at the same name says mr bucket offering his hand and consequently feel a liking for it mrs chadband no doubt and mrs snagsby mr smallweed introduces husband a law-stationer and a friend of my own says mr bucket love him like a brother now what's up do you mean what business we've come upon mr smallweed asks a little dashed by the suddenness of his turn ah oh, you know what i mean let's hear it. it's what it's all about in the presence of sir leicester dedlock baronet come mr smallweed beckoning mr chadband takes a moment's counsel with him in a whisper chadband expressing a considerable amount of oil from the pores of his forehead and the palms of his hands says aloud yes you first and retires into his former place i was a client and friend of mr tulkinghorn pike's grandfather smallweed then i did business with him i was useful to him he was useful to me crook dead and gone was my brother-in-law he was own brother to a brimstone magpie well at least ways, mrs smallweed I come into Crook's property. I examined all his papers, all his effects. They was all dug out under my eyes. There was a bundle of letters belonging to a dead and gone lodger, as was hid away at the back of a shelf, in the side of Lady Jane's bed his cat's bed. He had all manner of things away everywhere as Mr Tulkinghorn wanted em and got em. But I looked em over first. And I'm a man of business, and I took a squint at em. There was letters from the lodger's sweetheart, and she signed Honoria. Dear me, that's not a common name, Honoria, is it? There's no lady in this house that signs honoria is there oh no i don't think so oh no i don't think so and not in the same hand perhaps oh no i don't think so here mr smallweed seized with a fit of coughing in the midst of his triumph breaks off to ejaculate oh dear me oh lord i'm shaken all to pieces now when you're ready says mr bucket after awaiting his recovery to come to anything that concerns celeste dedlock baronet here the gentleman sits you know haven't i come to it mr bucket cries grandfather smallweed isn't the gentleman concerned yet not with captain horden and his ever affectionate Honoria, and their child into the bargain come then i want to know where those letters are that concerns me if it don't concern sir leicester dedlock i will know where they are i won't have them disappear so quietly i handed them over to my friend's solicitor mr tulkinghorn not to anybody else why he paid you for them you know and handsome too says mr bucket i don't care for that i want to know who's got em and i'll tell you what we want what we all here want mr bucket we want more painstaking and search-making into this murder we know where the interest and the motive was and you have not done enough if george the vagabond dragoon had any hand in it he was only an accomplice and was set on you know what i mean as well as any man "'Now, I'll tell you what,' says Mr. Bucket, "'instantaneously altering his manner, "'coming close to him and communicating "'an extraordinary fascination to the forefinger. "'I'm damned if I'm going to have my case spoilt "'or interfered with or anticipated "'by so much as half a second of time "'by any human being in creation. "'You want more painstaking and search-making. "'You do. "'Don't you see this hand, "'and don't you think that I don't know "'the right time to stretch it out "'and put it on the arm that fired the shot?' Such is the dread power of the man, and so terrible evident it is that he makes no idle boast. That Mr. Smallweed begins to apologise. Mr. Bucket, dismissing his sudden anger, checks him. The advice I give you is, don't you trouble your head about the murder. That's my affair. You keep half an eye on the newspapers. and I shouldn't wonder if you was to read something about it before long. If you look sharp. I know my business, and that's all I've got to say to you on that subject. Now, about those letters. You want to know who's got them? I don't mind telling you. I've got them. Is that the packet? Mr. Smallweed looks with greedy eyes at the little bundle Mr. Bucket produces from a mysterious part of his coat, and identifies it as the same. What have you got to say next? asks Mr. Bucket. Now, don't open your mouth too wide, because you don't look handsome when you do it. I want five hundred pound no you don't you mean fifty says mr bucket humorously it appears however that mr smallweed means five hundred that is i am deputed by sir leicester dedlock baronet to consider without admitting or promising anything this bit of business says mr bucket sir leicester mechanically bows his head and you ask me to consider a proposal of five hundred pounds why well, it's an unreasonable proposal two-fifty would be bad enough but better than that Hadn't you better say two-fifty? Mr. Smallweed is quite clear that he had better not. Then, says Mr. Bucket, let's hear Mr. Chabban, Lord, and a moderate man he was in all respects as I ever come across. Thus invited, Mr. Chapman steps forth, and after a little sleek smiling, a little oil grinding with the palm of his hands, delivers himself as follows. My friends, we are now, Rachel and my wife and I, in the mansions of the rich and great, why are we now in the mansions of the rich and great, my friends? It is because we are invited, because we are bidden to feast with them, because we are bidden to rejoice with them, because we are bidden to play the lute with them, because we are bidden to dance with them. No, then why are we here, my friends? Are we here in possession of a sinful secret? And do we require corn and wine and oil? Or what is much the same thing, money, for the keeping thereof? you are a man of business you are returns mr bucket very attentive and consequently you are going on to mention what the nature of your secret is you are right you couldn't do better let us then my brother in a spirit of love says mr chadband with a cunning eye proceed unto it rachel my wife advance mrs chadband more than ready so advances to jostle her husband into the background and confronts mr bucket with a hard frowning smile since you want to know what we know says she i'll tell you i helped bring up miss Hordon, her ladyship's daughter i was in the service of her ladyship's sister who was very sensitive to the disgrace her ladyship brought upon her and gave out even to her ladyship that the child was dead she was very nearly so when she was born but she's alive and i know her with these words and a laugh and laying a bitter stress on the word ladyship mrs chadband folds her arms and looks implacably at mr bucket i suppose now returns that officer you will be expecting a twenty-pound note or a present of about that figure mrs chadband merely laughs and contemptuously tells him he can offer twenty pence my friend the law station good lady over there says mr bucket luring mrs snagsby forward with a finger what may your game be ma'am Mrs. Snagsby is at first prevented, by tears and lamentations, from stating the nature of her game. But by degrees it confusedly comes to light that she is a woman overwhelmed with injuries and wrongs, whom Mr. Snagsby has habitually deceived, abandoned, and sought to keep in darkness, and whose chief comfort under her afflictions has been the sympathy of the late Mr. Tulkinghorn, who showed so much commiseration for, on one occasion, of his calling in Cook's Court, in the absence of her perjured husband, that she has of late habitually carried to him all her woes. Everybody, it appears, the present company excepted, had plotted against Mrs. Snagsby's peace. There is Mr Guppy, clerk to Kenjin Carboy, who was at first open as the sun at noon, but who suddenly shut up as close as midnight under the influence, no doubt, of Mr Snagsby's suborning and tampering. There is Mr Weevil, friend of Mr Guppy, who lived mysteriously up a court, owing to the like coherent causes. There was Crook deceased, there was Nimrod deceased, there was Joe deceased, and they were all in it, in what Mrs Snagsby does not with particularity express. But she knows that Joe was Mr Snagsby's son, as well as if a trumpet had spoken it. And she followed Mr Snagsby when he went on his last visit to the boy, and if he was not his son, why did he go? The one occupation of her life has been, for some time back, to follow Mr. Snagsby to and fro, and up and down, and to piece the suspicious circumstances together. And every circumstance that has happened has been most suspicious. And in this way she has pursued her object of detecting and confounding her false husband night and day. Thus did it come to pass that she brought the Chadbands and Mr. Tulkinghorn together and conferred with Mr Tulkinghorn on the change in Mr Guppy, and helped to turn up the circumstances in which the present company are interested, casually by the wayside, being still and ever on the great high road that is to terminate in Mr Snagsby's full exposure and a matrimonial separation. All this Mrs Snagsby, as an injured woman, and the friend of Mrs. Chadband, and the follower of Mr Chadband, and the mourner of the late Mr Tulkinghorn, is here to certify under the seal of confidence with every possible confusion involvement possible and impossible having no pecuniary motive whatever no scheme or project but the one mentioned and bringing here and taking everywhere her own dense atmosphere of dust arising from the ceaseless working of her mill of jealousy while this exordium is in hand and it takes some time mr bucket who has seen through the transparency of mrs snagsby's vinegar at a glance confers with his familiar demon and bestows his shrewd attention on the chadbands and mr smallweed sir Leicester dedlock remains immovable with the same icy surface upon him except that he once or twice looks towards mr bucket as relying on that officer alone of all mankind very good says mr bucket now i understand you you know and being deputed by Sir Leicester Dedlock, Baronet, to look into this little matter, again Sir Leicester mechanically bows in confirmation of the statement, can give it my fair and full attention. Now, I won't allude to conspiring to extort money or anything of that sort, because we are men and women of the world here, and our object is to make things pleasant. But I tell you what I do wonder at. I'm surprised that you should think of making a noise below in the hall. It was so opposed to your interests that's what i look at we wanted to get in pleads mr smallweed why well, of course you wanted to get in mr bucket asserts with cheerfulness but for an old gentleman at your time of life what i call truly venerable mind you with his wits sharpened as i have no doubt they are by the loss of the use of his limbs which occasions all his animation to mount up into his head not to consider that if he don't keep such a business as the present as close as possible it can't be worth a mag to him. It's so curious. You see, your temper got the better of you. That's where you lost ground,' says Mr. Bucket, in an argumentative and friendly way. "'I only said I wouldn't go without one of the servants came up to Sir Leicester Dedlock. returns Mr. Smallweed. "'That's it. That's where your temper got the better of you. Now keep it under another time and you'll make money by it. Shall I ring for them to carry you down?' When are we to hear more of this, Missus Chadband? Sternly commands. Bless your heart, for a true woman, always curious. Your delightful sexes, replied Mister Bucket with gallantry. I shall have the pleasure of giving you a call tomorrow or next day, not forgetting Mister Smallweed and his proposal of two fifty. Five hundred! Exclaims Mister Smallweed. All right, nominally five hundred. Mister Bucket has his hand on the bell rope. Shall I wish you good day for the present on the part of myself and the gentlemen of the house? he asks in an insinuating tone. Nobody having the hardihood to object to his doing so, he does it, and the party retire as they came up. Mr Bucket follows them to the door, and returning, says with an air of serious business, Sir Leicester dedlock, baronet, it's for you to consider whether or not to buy this up. I should recommend, on the whole, its being bought up myself. I think it may be bought pretty cheap. You see that little picket cucumber of Mrs. Snagsby has been used by all sides of the speculation and has done a deal more harm in bringing odds and ends together than if she had meant it. Mr. Tulkinghorn deceased. he held all these horses in his hand and could kind have of drove em his own way. I haven't a doubt, but he was fetched off the box head foremost, and now they have got their legs over the traces. And are all dragging and pulling their own ways. So it is, such is life. The cat's away and the mice they play, the frost breaks up and the water runs, now with regard to the party to be apprehended. Leicester seems to wake, though his eyes have been wide open, and he looks intently at Mr. Bucket, and Mr. Bucket refers to his watch. The party to be apprehended is now in this house, and with rising spirits. I am about to take her into custody in your presence sir leicester dedlock baronet don't say a word nor yet stir there'll be no noise and no disturbance at all i'll come back in the course of the evening if agreeable to you and endeavour to meet your wishes respecting this unfortunate family matter and the noblest way of keeping it quiet now sir leicester dedlock baronet don't you be nervous on account of the apprehension at present coming off you shall see the whole case clear from first to last. Mr. Bucket rings, goes to the door, briefly whispers mercury, shuts the door and stands behind it with his arms folded. After the suspense of a minute or two, the door slowly opens and a Frenchwoman enters, Mademoiselle Hortense. The moment she is in the room, Mr. Bucket claps the door to and puts his back against it. The suddenness of the noise occasions her to turn, and then for the first time she sees sir Leicester dedlock in his chair i ask your pardon she mutters hurriedly they tell me there was no one here her step towards the door brings her front to front with mr bucket suddenly a spasm shoots across her face and she turns deadly pale this is my lodger sir Leicester dedlock says mr bucket nodding at her this foreign young woman has been my lodger for some weeks back what does sir Leicester care for that you think my angel why, my angel, returns, Mr. Bucket, we shall see. Mademoiselle Hortense gradually changes into a smile of scorn. You are very mysterious, are you drunk? Tolerable sober, my angel, returns, Mr. Bucket. I come from arriving at this so detestable house with your wife. Your wife have left me some minutes. They tell me downstairs, your wife is here. I come here, and your wife is not here. What is the intention of this fool's play? Say, then mademoiselle demands with her arms composedly crossed but with something in her dark cheek beating like a clock mr bucket merely shakes his finger at her ah oh my god you are an unhappy idiot cries the mademoiselle with a toss of her head and a laugh leave me to pass downstairs great pig with a stamp of her foot now mademoiselle says mr bucket in a cool determined way you go and sit down upon that sophy i will not sit down upon nothing she replies with a shower of nods now mademoiselle repeats mr bucket making no demonstration except with the finger you sit down upon that sophie why because i take you into custody on a charge of murder and you don't need to be told it i want to be polite to one of your sex and a foreigner if i can if i can't i must be rough and there's rougher ones outside what i am to be depends on you for I recommend you, as a friend, to go and sit down upon that sofa, Mademoiselle complies, saying hard. You are a devil. Now, you see, Mr. Bucket proceeds approvingly, you're comfortable in conducting yourself as I should expect a foreign young woman of your sense to do. So I'll give you a piece of advice, and it's this. Don't you talk too much. You're not expected to say anything here. You can't keep too quiet a tongue in your head. In short, the less you parley, the better, you know. Mister Bucket is very complacent. Mamselle, with that tigerish expansion of the mouth and her black eyes darting fire upon him, sits upright on the sofa in a rigid state, with her hands clenched and her feet too. One might suppose muttering, "Oh, you Bucket, ye devil!" Now, Sir Leicester Dedlock, Baronet, says Mister Bucket, and from this time forth the finger never rests. This young woman, my lodger, was her ladyship's maid at the time I have mentioned to you. Besides being extraordinarily vehement and passionate against her ladyship after being discharged lies cries mademoiselle, I discharge myself. Now why don't you take my advice? returns Mr Bucket in an impressive, almost imploring tone. I'm surprised at the indiscreetness you commit. You'll say something that will be used against you, you know. You're sure to come to it. Never you mind what I say till it's given in evidence. It's not addressed to you. Discharge too cries mademoiselle furiously by her ladyship there eh, my faith her pretty ladyship why i have ruined my character by remaining with a ladyship so in fame. upon my soul i wonder at you mr bucket remonstrates i thought the french were a polite nation i really did yet to hear a female going on like that before sir leicester dedlock baronet he is a poor abused cries mademoiselle i spit upon his house upon his name upon his imbecility all of which she makes the carpet represent. Oh, that he is a great man. Oh, yes, superb. Oh, heaven. Blah! Well, Sir Leicester Dedlock proceeds, Mr. Bucket. This intemperate foreigner, also angrily, took it into his head that she had established a claim upon Mr. Tulkinghorn, deceased, by attending on the occasion I told you of at his chambers, though she was liberally paid for her time and trouble. Lie, cries Mademoiselle. I refuse his money altogether. If you will parley, you know," says Mr. Bucket, parenthetically. "You must take the consequences. Now, whether she became my lodger, Celeste Dedlock, with any deliberate intention of then doing this deed and blinding me, I give no opinion on. But she lived at my house in that capacity at that time. She was hovering about the chambers of the deceased, Mr. Tulkinghorn, with a view to wrangle and likewise persecuting and half frightening the life out of an unfortunate stationer." lie cries mademoiselle oh lie the murder was committed sir leicester baronet and you know under what circumstances now i beg of you to follow me close with your attention for a minute or two i was sent for and the case was entrusted to me i examined the place and the body and the papers and everything from information i received from a clerk in the same house i took george into custody and that very night that in high words with the deceased on former occasions, even threatening him as the witness made out, if you ask me, Sir Leicester Dedlock, whether from the first I believed George to be the murderer, I tell you candidly no, but he might be notwithstanding, and there was enough against him to make it my duty to take him in to get him kept under remand. Mr. Bucket bends forward in some excitement for him and inaugurates what he is going to say with one ghostly beat of his forefinger in the air mademoiselle hortense fixes her black eyes upon him with a dark frown and sets her dry lips closely and firmly together i went home sir leicester dedlock baronet at night and found this young woman having supper with my wife mrs bucket she had made a mighty show of being fond of mrs bucket from her first offering herself as our lodger likewise she overdid her respect and all that for the lamented memory of the deceased mr tulkinghorn by the living lord it flashed upon me as i sat opposite to her at the table and saw her with a knife in her hand that she had done it mademoiselle is hardly audible in straining through her teeth and lips the words you are a devil now where pursues mr bucket had she been on the night of the murder she had been to the theatre she really was there i have since found both before the deed and after it I knew I had an artful customer to deal with, and that the proof would be very difficult, and I laid a trap for her-such a trap as I never laid yet, and such a venture as I never made yet. I worked it out in my mind while I was talking to her at supper. When I went upstairs to bed, our house being small, and this young woman's ears sharp, I stuffed the sheet into Mrs Bucket's mouth that she shouldn't say a word of surprise, and told her all about it. My dear, don't you give your mind to that again, or I shall link your feet together, at the ankles. Mr. Bucket, breaking off, has made a noiseless descent upon Mademoiselle and laid his heavy hand upon her shoulder. What's the matter with you now? she asks him. Don't you think any more, returns Mr. Bucket, with an admonitory finger of throwing yourself out of the window. That's what's the matter with me. Come, just take my arm. You needn't get up. I'll sit down by you. Now take my arm, will you? I'm a married man, you know. You're acquainted with my wife. Just take my arm. Vainly endeavouring to moisten those dry lips with a painful sound, she struggles with herself and complies. Now we're all right again, Sir Leicester Dedlock, Baronet. This case could never have been the case it is but for Mrs. Bucket, who is a woman in fifty thousand, in a hundred and fifty thousand. To throw this young woman off her guard, I have never set foot in her house since though I have communicated with Mrs. Bucket in the baker's loaves and in the milk, as often required. My whispered words to Mrs. Bucket when she had this sheet in her mouth were, My dear, can you throw her off continually with natural accounts of my suspicion against George, and this and that and t'other? Can you do without rest and keep watch upon her night and day? Can you undertake to say she shall do nothing without my knowledge, she shall be my prisoner without suspecting it? She shall no more escape from me than from death, and her life shall be my life, and her soul my soul, till I have got her, if she did this murder. Mrs. Bucket says to me, as well as she could speak on account of the sheet, Bucket, I can, and she has acted up to it glorious. Lies, mademoiselle interposes, all lies, my friend. So to Dedlock, Baronet, how did my calculations come out under these circumstances? When I calculated that this impetuous young woman would overdo it in new directions, was I wrong or right? I was right. What does she try to do? Don't let it give you a turn to throw the murder on her ladyship. Sir Leicester rises from his chair and staggers down again, and she got encouragement in it from hearing that I was always here, which was done a purpose. Now open that pocket-book of mine, Sir Leicester Dedlock. If I may take the liberty of throwing it towards you, and look at the letters sent to me, each with the two words Lady Dedlock" in it. Open the one directed to yourself, which I stopped this very morning, and read the three words, Lady Dedlock Murderess, in it. These letters have been falling about like a shower of ladybirds. What do you say now to Mrs. Bucket from her spy-place, having seen them all written by this young woman? What do you say to Mrs. Bucket having, with this half-hour, secured the corresponding ink and paper, fellow half-sheets, and what-not? What do you say to Mrs. Bucket having watched the posting of them, every one by this young woman, Sir Leicester Dedlock Baronet?" Mr. Bucket asks, triumphant in his admiration of his lady's genius. Two things are especially observable as Mr. Bucket proceeds to a conclusion. First, that he seems imperceptibly to establish a dreadful right of property in Mademoiselle; Secondly, that the very atmosphere she breathes seemed to narrow and contract about her, as if a close net or a pole were being thrown nearer, yet nearer, around her breathless figure. There is no doubt that her ladyship was on the spot at the eventful period, says Mr. Bucket, and my foreign friend here saw her, I believe from the upper part of the staircase her ladyship and george and my foreign friend were all pretty close on one another's heels but that don't signify any more so i'll not go into it i found the wadding of the pistol with which the deceased mr tulkinghorn was shot it was a bit of the printed description of your house at chesney wold not much in that so you'll say sir leicester dedlock baronet no but when my foreign friend here is so thoroughly off her of guard as to think it's safe time to tear up the rest of that leaf and when Mrs. Bucket puts the pieces together, and finds the wadding wanting, it begins to look like Queer Street. These are very long lies, ma'amselle interposes. You pause a great deal. Is it that you have almost finished, or are you speaking always? Sir Leicester Dedlock, baronet, proceeds Mr. Bucket, who delights in a full title, and does violence to himself when he dispenses with any fragment of it. The last point in the case, which I am now going to mention, shows the necessity of patience in our business, and never doing a thing in hurry. I watched this young woman yesterday without her knowledge, when she was looking at the funeral, in company with my wife, who planned to take her there. I had so much to convict her, and I saw such an expression in her face, and my mind so rose against her malice towards her ladyship, and the time was altogether such a time for bringing down what you may call retribution upon her. But if I had been a younger hand, with less experience, I should have taken her, certain, equally last night, when her ladyship, as is so universally admired I am sure, came home looking why, Lord, a man might almost say like Venus, rising from the ocean. It was so unpleasant and inconsistent to think of her being charged with a murder of which she was innocent, that I felt quite to want to put an end to the job what should i have lost sir leicester dedlock baronet i should have lost the weapon my prisoner here proposed to mrs bucket after the departure of the funeral that they should go per bus a little ways into the country and take tea at a very decent house of entertainment now near that house of entertainment there's a piece of water at tea my prisoner got up to fetch a pocket handkerchief from the bedroom where the bonnets was she was rather a long time gone and came back a little out of wind as soon as they came home this was reported to me by mrs bucket along with her observations and suspicions i had the piece of water dragged by moonlight in presence of a couple of our men and the pocket pistol was brought up before it had been there half a dozen hours now my dear put your arm a little further through mine and hold it steady and i shan't hurt you in a trice mr bucket snaps a handcuff on her wrist that's one says mr bucket now the other darling two and all told he rises she rises too where she asks him darkening her large eyes until their drooping lids almost conceal them and yet they stare where is your false your treacherous and cursed wife she's gone forward to the police office returns mr bucket you'll see her there my dear i would like to kiss her exclaims mademoiselle hortense panting tigress like you'd bite her i suspect says mr bucket i would making her eyes very large i would love to tear her limb from limb bless you darling says mr bucket with the greatest composure i'm fully prepared to hear that your sex have such a surprising animosity against one another when you do differ you don't mind me half so much do you no though you are a devil still angel and devil by turns eh cries mr bucket "'But I am in my regular employment. "'You must consider. "'Let me put your shawl tidy. "'I've been a lady's maid to a good many before now. "'Anything wanting to the bonnet? "'There's a cab at the door.' Mademoiselle Hortense, casting an indignant eye at the glass, "'shakes herself perfectly neat in one shake, "'and looks, to do her justice, uncommonly genteel. "'Listen then, my angel,' says she, "'after several sarcastic nods, "'you are very spiritual.' But can you restore him back to life? Mr. Bucket answers, not exactly. That is droll. Listen yet one time. You are very spiritual. Can you make an honourable lady of her? Don't be so malicious, says Mr. Bucket. Or a haughty gentleman of him, cries Mamsel, referring to Leicester with ineffable disdain. Eh, oh, then regard him, the poor infant. <laughs> come, come. Why, this is worse parleying than the other, says Mr. Bucket come along you cannot do these things and you cannot do as you please with me it is but the death it is all the same let us go my angel adieu you old man grey i pity you and i despise you with these last words she snaps her teeth together as if her mouth closed with a spring it is impossible to describe how mr bucket gets her out but he accomplishes that feat in a manner so peculiar to himself enfolding and pervading her like a cloud and hovering away with her as if he were a homely jupiter, and she the object of his affections. Sir so Lester, left alone, remains in the same attitude, as though he were still listening, and his attention was still occupied. At length he gazes round the empty room, and finding it deserted, rises unsteadily to his feet, pushes back his chair, walks a few steps, supporting himself by the table, then he stops, and with more of those inarticulate sounds, lifts up his eyes and seems to stare at something. Heaven knows what he sees, the green, green woods of Chesney Wald, the noble house, the pictures of his forefathers, strangers defacing them, officers of police coarsely handling his most precious heirlooms, thousands of fingers pointing at him, thousands of faces sneering at him, but if such shadows flit before him to his bewilderment, there is one other shadow which he can name with something like distinctness, even yet to which he alone addresses his tearing of his white hair and his extended arms. It is she in association with whom, saving that she has been for years a main fibre of the root of his dignity and pride, he has never had a selfish thought. It is she whom he has loved, admired, honoured, and set up for the world to respect. It is she who, at the core of all the constrained formalities and conventionalities of his life has been a stock of living tenderness and love, susceptible as nothing else is of being struck with the agony he feels. He sees her, almost to the exclusion of himself, and cannot bear to look upon her cast down from the high place she has graced so well. And even at the point of his sinking on the ground, oblivious of his suffering, he can yet pronounce her name with something like distinctness in the midst of those intrusive sounds, and in a tone of mourning and compassion, rather than reproach. End of chapter 54